Hey everyone, Nick here from Horseman's University. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking with both Tick and Sinead Maynard from Copperline Farm in Citra, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about their differences in training, what they have learned from each other, how this is applied to different horses they're working with now, and a little bit about the importance of continuing education. I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right in. So one of the things that, uh, that I had asked Tick the other day was like how... Maybe we should just jump right in because yeah, I feel like this is, is going to be all conversation <laughs> that we're repeating. Yeah. Is uh, like differences in training. And I was like, okay, what... Or in, in conversation, it came up like differences between you two. None. In, in training. None, absolutely Seamless. None. <laughs> Seamless. Seamless, yes. Yeah. Um, it took 10 years to get that way. Yeah, so um, differences in training yeah, and like what was an example where maybe tech came around to your seeing it your way and then what was a way that maybe you came around to seeing it tick's way one of the things that came up was stopping at a jump mm-hmm. and um i guess maybe maybe we can go into what what would you do like a horse stops at a jump like how would you go about addressing that because tech said that Tick said. <laughs> now you're going to get a little, little bit of a difference. Shit out of it. <laughs> How I long would. is your stick? <laughs> How electrified is your <laughs> Have you got a long whip behind you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so how, how would you go about handling a situation like that? Like, like your, your common problems that you have with horses and jumping, like a refusal, a run out, stuff like that. Like, how would you go about handling, let's say, let's just say a stop at a fence. Mm-hmm. You want me to answer that now? Yeah. Well, I can do it on live. I can we're do doing it. this live. This yeah, is we're, live. Yeah. Oh, we're right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do like a three, two, one. <laughs> no, no. We just, <laughs> just jumped right in. Yeah. It's my first time. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we did Ask the question tonight. again. Yeah. I'm sweating. <laughs> How would I handle a stop at a fence? Um, Well, I think it's very situational. Um, I think that you have to assess first, why is the horse stopping? Is he stopping because of a past experience? Is he stopping because something I did? Uh, Is he stopping because he doesn't understand the question? Is he stopping because it's learned behavior under pressure? So, and for what we do in eventing, you know, again, it could be the type of jump. Some horses are totally fine with show jumps, but they're terrified of ditches. So I think the first step in a horse that stops is assessing the why. Um, And I think with a horse that, for example, you know, we've been looking into the, I've been learning more about personality. So I think a horse that is more like a right brain extrovert, you would not get after because that's really going to add more anxiety and stress to the situation that's already there. And by get after, I mean kind of use your stick or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that horse, it's important that they understand the question and you go slow enough that their brain can go slow down to the speed of their feet. Yeah. If white, that makes sense. Pieces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had, um, I had a horse that came here, actually came for tick. And then I stole it <laughs> because I really, really... This um, was uh, Cuddy Sark. Cuddy Sark, yeah. yeah. So it was a horse that had a really bad time stopping, um, bucking, like like just a real anxious type, but just would move his feet all every which direction all the time. Um, but I thought, I just really thought he was a, actually an incredibly kind horse, but he was a lot. And um, Tick helped me with him hugely. And I think that was the first time I really recognized... Um, 
that it was okay to actually let him stop. And that horse ended up, and Tick said the first time I was out there, he said, do you think he'll jump it the second time? Like if you let him smell it or, you know, walk up to it. I said, absolutely. Every time he'll jump it the second time. But even I found like, you know, walking from the barn, if something scared him and I added leg, you know, he just shut down. But if I had him, you know, off or passage in place, then he decided he wanted to go. You know, like if I wanted to go one step slower than he wanted to go, then he decided to go. Um, and that horse uh, ended up, I ended up taking him um, through the four-star level. Um, and I think I had one cross-country penalty on him. You know, and I remember going yeah. to the first competition to tick and going, I've let this horse stop in a ride. I'll let this horse stop 10 times. Like, what do I do now that we're at a horse show? Right. You know, and he said, come out of the box slow enough that if he starts to give you that feel that at that point you can add your leg or add your stick because at home you've built the confidence mm -hmm. that, you know, within your relationship so that when you tell him to go, he'll go. And I think I used a stick on the horse twice mm -hmm. in his whole career. So, and now he's actually teaching a young rider, mm -hmm. you know, so he, it was, it was a really eye opening um, experience for me. Yeah. Um, and adding yeah. that pressure away from the fence, mm -hmm. like it was coming out of the box, not yep. like, at the fence with the stick. Yeah. You know, then they kind of associate that with that. Yeah. Well, and I, well, I could start to feel it far enough away, you know, like I, for him, he would notice the fence 10 strides away, you know, I like see. he would start to feel it. So if I felt that 10 strides away at a competition, I would use the stick 10 strides away, but I would be going slow enough that I was using the stick for uh, get in front of my leg, stay with me, not running him at the thing, you know, so yeah. that he got to there. You know, there's a there's an element where you go so fast that you push the horse out of balance and then you add more fear because they get to the fence too quick out of balance. And then they actually have to back themselves up so that they can jump the jump appropriately. Mm -hmm. So I would just always be going slow enough that I could knock it up one level if I needed to without being at, you know, what you would say max length of speed or mm -hmm. for, for the question. Yeah. Is that kind of the same way that you would handle that tech? Yeah. I remember, um, you know, I did, was brought up, like you said, in a fairly traditional way. And when I was at the O'Connors and then with Jonathan Field, I got introduced to other ideas, things that I never really had somebody explain to me before, like the idea of approach and retreat mm -hmm. with something you know, that when you're approaching it, that's maybe when they're looking at it and studying it for the first time, but retreating is actually when you are maybe building the confidence about it, that they don't feel forced about it. And the first time, you know, I'd seen that a couple of times. The first time I experienced it myself, I was out on a cross country course with another uh, trainer and I was like, I'm going to apply, uh, just try out this approach and retreat thing. And we both were both on green horses that weren't used to the water. And the other trainer, he went up to the water and he basically stayed facing the water and um, he was a pretty good trainer and he had a good time and he used the stick essentially to say like, you're not allowed to back up, you have to go. But he had good timing and he was kind of like gentle, but he like stuck with it. Like this is like, this is non-negotiable. Like you're going to go through the water, I'm going to use the stick. And with my horse, I didn't use the stick. I just went up to him, like let him look at the water, lengthen his neck. Uh, maybe smell the water and after you know he got a little more confident I'd do a circle and then we approach and what was interesting is that both the horses went in the water almost exactly at the same time like within seconds of each other both of the horses probably took you know between four and five minutes so not right away like it took a little bit of time for both these horses to go in but then uh, you know like it's like which way do you want to do it like they both took the same amount of time even if it had taken a little bit longer i think i would have felt more comfortable like i didn't i don't think i used the stick once i just kind of like set up the situation and let his curiosity take him in so i i'm not saying the other way is not going to work like he did get the horse in and i think the horse did get more 
confident about it, no matter what method you're doing, if you do it well, it, it's probably going to work. It's more like your philosophy about it. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, was there a difference in expression of the horse when, like... Oh, yeah. 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 You know, the horse I was riding, I think, you know, the curiosity was the motivator. Like, you see him running his nose along the water, looking out into the water. Um, you know, the other horse never really dropped his head that much. He was kind of looking off into the distance. Even when he went in, there was tension in his body. Um, I think the other trainer, if I remember correctly, did go through the water, you know, four or five times afterwards, and the horse got pretty comfortable going through the water. So I think, you know, if you were to look back a couple of years later, they, both horses are probably going to be going through the water. But, you know, it, it does start to affect your overall relationship with the horse. But it's also like, I think the thing that's been interesting for me to figure out is because there's still times when, I mean, I'll say it, that I'll, you know, that I'll feel a horse kind of, and it's when they flip to kind of a learned behavior that I say, that's, that's not, that's not what we're doing today. You need to get to the other side of the fence. Um, but it's also noticing if you should even be attempting something that they're worried about because there's so many other issues. You know, it's like yeah. so many problems with trailer loading and people say, my horse won't get on the trailer. And then you watch them pull the horse and the horse doesn't yeah. follow the pressure, yeah. right? And you go, you don't have a trailer issue, you have a leading issue, yeah. right? And yeah. so why are you even, you already have this problem over here and now you're putting the horse in a pressure situation and you, you don't have any of the tools to deal with it. And I think there's not a lot of information out there that is, um, I mean, maybe there is, I just don't know, but it's, it's starting to see the nuances of like, I don't even need to go to that ditch, right? I don't even need to go to the water because there's so many issues that are cropping up, you know, and it's funny. That's because a hard thing to tell people though. Like if you're in a clinic and you're, you know, like we both teach a lot of clinics. If somebody's in the clinic and they say to you, like, I want to work on my ditch issue and you get on the cross country course and you realize like they're slightly out of control. They can't turn that great. They can't stop that great. And you're like, you just, you know, you just got to tell them we're not going to work on the ditch, but sometimes that's not what people want to hear. Yeah, but then they, then you send them to the other trainer down the road. <laughs> I say, good luck to you. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, though, because, like, again, I mean, I've been riding for, you know, however old I am, 100 years, and there's always something new that you're learning. And we had a horse come into our program last year. FEI horse had jumped around, you know, some big stuff, and... um I, you know, I had known that the horse, the, the person had said, oh, this horse gets really jacked up in the start box, but he's amazing cross country, no worries, blah, 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 blah. And so I was prepared for that. And, and he was, he was, you know, Tick had to lead me into the start box. And, you know, I, A, that was the primary problem. I shouldn't have, you know, if that's an yeah. issue, I probably should have said, hey, but in my mind, I was processing the, the information on the paper. Like, okay, this horse has gone through this level, this level, this level you know, do I go back and spend five months redoing this or this horse is here for a few months. Maybe I get to know him out on his, you know, we'll go out on the course, see how he goes. I was going three levels below the level that he had been going, but he, you know, I got him, he just took off like a bat out of hell to the first fence. And then I went to turn right and it was a 90 degree turn away from the trailer. And before I knew it, I was back at the trailer, right? And I was like, how did I get here? And, um, and I called it a day over there and I was so like shocked, right? I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. And I said it to Tick and he said, every, you know, and I'd, I'd ridden the horse for maybe like three weeks or something. And he goes, every time you get on him at home, notice if there's even like, a, like, 1% of that herd boundness, 1% of his not going directly where you want him to go. And, you know, and prior to that, I had noticed, ah, oh, he's a little crooked, ah, oh, he's a little, you know, weak off the right hind, and he doesn't always want to turn this way. But from that moment, when I got on the horse, and I 
he stood there and I walked away from the start or from the mounting block, you know, one ear is back on the barn, one ear is moving over mm. to the left. And all of a sudden I found a thousand things in a day that should have been warning me. Like I go to this pressure situation, the adrenaline's up. Like, why was I surprised? You yeah. know, and I'm a professional, yeah. <laughs> you know? but it's, it's really finding all of those nuances that, um, you know, and Tick is, you know, he, he has to settle me down a lot because I'm, I, want to compete. I love competing. You know, I love going out there and doing that, but I also don't love jumping the first fence and then ending up back at the horse trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> it's not really something that you, like, I w- you wouldn't think to look for that though. Like, Mm-mm. is this a, like, have that intense of a reaction to being away from other horses? Like that's mm-hmm. not, and, and, you know, flick of the ear and all that stuff. It's like such a subtle Mm-hmm. It's so tiny, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you would just be. You're not expecting the horse to run back to the trailer after the first jump, like, no, and just ta- no. and I'm talking about like taking off with you, and if you try yeah. to turn him, like he rears. Like, yeah. And pretty... I, and I think the thing that we didn't know is that the previous rider we had never really seen that combination before and she had has a very fiery big personality whereas tick and i like to can around cross country with a loop in the rain and i think the horse had no idea what to do yeah, you know yeah. because he was used to somebody meeting and exceeding his energy level right and so then and you know and it was funny because i you know i went back and chatted with her and she's a great girl and she kind of laughed and said oh yeah he does that but i just tell him to get on with it and you know and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> i was like sometimes oh. he goes to the next county you know? <laughs> yeah. But if you just keep keep on it, he'll eventually come around. He's got a around. long stride. Get <laughs> I know. I was like, uh. Okay. So, so what happened with this horse? Like what? So it's I, I said, Tick, this is your ride for the next little bit. <laughs> That's what I do. I when That's that starts happening, I'm like, Tick, can you work with us for a little while? And and Tick had, uh, you know, he jumped him around four or five events. But did you ever experience anything? <clears throat> oh yeah, for sure, uh, big time. The horse, you know, would want to go back to the barn or back to the other horses. And, you know, then it's a two-part thing for, for me is one is um, trying to make his job and his life with me more comfortable and more fun. Mm-hmm. And, but then also with certain kinds of horses, I think drawing like firm boundaries to say like this behavior is sometimes unacceptable. And if I were to say, you know, just to compare it to like a, a lot of the trainers that I see, especially probably men would be my guess is that, you know, they might see me that 10% of the time when I'm being tougher on the horse and they, they might take that and say, hey, that's something I got to be, I got to be tougher with my horses. But what they maybe don't notice is that that's only 10% of the time that I'm drawing like really firm boundaries for them and saying this is behavior is unacceptable. But 90% of the time, you know, 90% of the interactions with the horses, trying to make them enjoy their job more or be more comfortable in their job or find out what motivates that horse in particular. And those are usually more subtle things. You know, that's like, when you soften the rain or that's when you get off at a certain place instead of getting off back at the barn or that's when you get off facing away from the barn instead of facing towards the barn. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when you loosen the girth before you take them into the stall. Like there's like thousands of little subtle things to make their life more comfortable and not one of those thousand things. Like if each a thousand thing is like 0.1% of how comfortable you're going to make them and you do 10 of those, like that only adds up to like 1%, right? So if I do 10 of those things with a horse, Another trainer is probably not going to notice because they're all so small. But if every time I ride that horse, I'm trying to think of like those thousand thousand things, like then they add up over the mm-hmm. course of two months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, whereas the ten percent of the time when I'm tougher, like that's a more obvious thing to people. Yeah. But that's that's not what I want people to take away from how I work with like these difficult horses that get herd bound like that. What would you say? I mean, in that ten percent of the time, is that 
just because it's like a deeper pattern? Is it a safety issue? Like what? Yeah. What so when you say a pattern, exactly. Like if they're if they're used to like going out of the Starbucks and always taking like a hard left back, you know, especially we're talking in particular probably about the Florida Horse Park where it was set up this way, where you go out of the Starbucks and the course goes to the right. And then there's an open grass area that goes left back to the stabling. So it's very easy for them to create a pattern if you've competed there two or three times to go out of the start box. You get up into the canter and the horse goes left. And if you go to go right, they either try to run through it or if you go right hard enough, then they just start rearing up. Like it's, and then, you know, and then all it takes is to let them get away with it once or twice. And then this pattern gets fixed in their mind. And um, so yeah, so like things like that to try to change the pattern, but also things like if they become like a safety mm-hmm. issue, you know, like if I feel like they're gonna flip over on me or something like that to like take the rain maybe and bring their nose right around towards my foot or something like that. I find I don't need to do that very often, you know, like that's something I've experimented with a little bit from the Western side of natural horsemanship is all the bending through the neck that they do. And I find I don't end up doing that very much. I'm not really sure why, but I like to get my horses thinking forward. I find most of the time I can solve most problems going forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Have you been back to Florida Horse Park with that horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, he's gotten much happier. Um, I've had that same problem with, <clears throat> you know, to that degree. I've had that severe problem with probably five or six horses in the past four years. Um, yeah, where they'll want to stop sort of between the start box and one or between one and two. And, um, you know, they're not stopping at the jump. They're just stopping between jumps or trying to go back to the barn. Mm-hmm. How but, does that kind of, like extreme behavioral stuff, how, where does that start? Like, and what, and what can people do to kind of prevent it, you know, being a little bit more, I don't know, having a little bit better observation of the horses, like little subtle subtleties that they do? Like, where does herd boundness start? I guess that specifically. Yeah, I think it's I think it's recognizing those thousand things like it would be interesting to try to make a list and see if I could name a thousand things, Mm -hmm. you know, and if if you're talking about 100% of the horse's comfort, then a thousand things would be 0.1, right? Each one is is worth 0.1. And it's also the opposite of that. Like if I don't do it, you know, a great reason why horses are going to be want to go back to the, you know, they call it barn, barn sour, right? They want to go back to the barn is because that's where they get rest that rest, they don't get worked. That's where they get shade in the summer, warmth in the winter. That's where they get shavings. That's where they get food, hay, grain. That's where their friends are. Um, that's like their personal space where they don't feel like somebody's going to come in and kick them. Like most horses, not all horses, but most horses, if you fall off, like the horse is going to go back to the barn. Right. And so it's or tra- grass. Or, or grass <laughs> or their friend, like in another paddock, you know what I mean? Depending on the, the situation for them, how it's set up. Right. But, um, it's a matter of being aware that you you still don't you're not going to take the hay and grain away from them, but like maybe when you get off, you know, and I do this all the time with young horses. Now I get off in the place where I work, so I get off in our jump field. I'll loosen the girth. I'll run the stirrups up. Um, maybe I'll let them. I'll wait there till they can take a deep breath, or they eat grass, or if it's a really barn sour horse, I might have their halter out there, take the bridle off, put the halter on, put the saddle on a jump wait out there for four or five minutes or even 10 or 20 minutes while I teach another lesson and then go back to the barn. Mm-hmm. Just make that a little bit more comfortable out there. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things too, is that like when you're assessing 
your own horse and the situation and, and the, you know, the situation in this case being herd boundness is how much time do you have, right? Like, yeah. cause you, you need to be on the same time as, as your horse. And the amount of times I've been on, even like we have a really nice young horse that, um, tick started as a three-year-old. And so he really doesn't have any bad behaviors other than underlying he's, he's a, you know, he's kind of a blood horse, so he can have his anxiety can come up and down, but he's never done anything like I would say naughty, but there's been several times where I've gone to like, he doesn't want to totally stand still or I've worked him and I go to leave the field and he, that's when he accelerates. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times I've been in a hurry and then thought I need to turn back around, (laughs) (laughs) go walk around the field in a second, grab a treat out of my pocket, stand there until his, his level has come down. When I've had two trailers over here waiting for me to teach a lesson, you know, you have to have that ability to do that with those ones. And if you don't, that it's not like for me, that's what I kind of, I, you know, we teach a lot of amateurs and, you know, the amount of times and going back to the clinic thing, the amount of times I've gone back and I said, is this a match for you? You know, like, is this something that you really, you know, you work 40 hours a week or, you know, more than that. And then you work so hard so you can come and enjoy your horse in the evening. And when you get on the horse terrifies you and tries to run you back to the barn the whole time. And a, do you have the skill set to be able to handle that in a non-emotional way? And that's what tick is really good at. That's why anytime I feel like with the horse, I get putting my agenda on them and I like my emotional level. I said, tick, can you fix this? Because <laughs> conceptually I know what it needs to happen, but I also, you know, that, that competitive drive dies hard, you know? And so I'm like, I actually know in this situation, it's going to be better for the horse for Tick to do this for a second. And then he can talk me through it on a non-emotional level. Mm -hmm. And so I think with a lot of people that run into these issues with these horses, whether, whether, you know, it started with them or it started previously, it's also not a fail to say, actually, maybe this horse needs to go to someone else for training. Maybe this horse needs to go into a different, a a professional. Maybe I need something else that I can actually Mm -hmm. enjoy. Um, because there are a lot of horses out there that people feel guilty and then they, or they feel like they're going to fail and they keep them, you know, and then it just is not good for anybody. Yeah. Sometimes you see, you know, like you'll see somebody that like gets a boyfriend that's a project and you're like, why are you doing this? Like, just get a, just get a nice boyfriend. Like, why are you trying to fix this guy? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Every day I'm like, wow. But it's the same, you know, it's the same with horses. I'm not legally like, bound, so I can't sell him. Can you send him off to a, send him <laughs> to a trainer? Trainer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is unbelievable. This is, I, don't, I don't know about this podcast. <laughs> I think sometimes with people, like, they put their own dreams on their horse. Like they, they, their dream is to go do like a three or a four star in eventing. And, uh, if the horse isn't the horse to do that, like maybe the horse mentally, physically, emotionally is not a horse that's going to be able to happily do that. And I tell them that they feel like, you know, I've heard things like people say, like, you don't believe in my horse. You don't like my horse. I don't want to give up on my horse. You know, all those things I'm saying, you know, it's not giving up on your horse. It's just not the match for this particular situation. You know, like if you're a competitive beach volleyball player, like you want to have the best beach volleyball player in the country as your partner. That doesn't mean like you don't like your mother or your brother or your best friend at school. They're just not going to be your beach volleyball partner, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that, that, that match. And, uh, of course what we've been talking about with the, the personality thing, um, having your own personality and the, and the horse's personality kind of meshes really important too. Like if you have a tendency to get emotional in the saddle or you get like really frustrated really easily and, and you have a horse that's not going to respond well to that. I mean, there are some horses that can, you know, can handle that kind of a rider, but 
maybe it would be harder to go to a higher level with a horse that's you know would would be also be reactive. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so what is t- tell me one thing that you've kind of taken from from um, Sinead's repertoire of training that you've found really valuable. Just one. Just, Just one. one. <laughs> well, I mean, the the big thing. Uh, the, I think Shane and I work really well together as a team because we both have different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll work with some of the younger horses and more difficult horses, but where probably Sinead's biggest strength where I keep trying to learn from her is sort of more like the biomechanics, how a horse moves, how they are in dressage, how they are physically in the barn, you know, running your hands down the legs. Um, and about a month, uh, a month or so ago, I had a really tough ride on one of my horses, um, Galileo. And I was just putting too much pressure on him. Like I got too caught up in the, in the competition. And I was like, I don't think I've been more emotional about a horse in like probably four or five years. And I just gave the ride to Sinead for almost two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, was so, I was so worried about it. I was worried about the horse. I was worried how Sinead was going along with the horse. And I, call, I called you and you were just like, it's fine. Like, and I came back and like Sinead wasn't emotional about it and the horse was going great. And she basically told me I was doing too much and I was trying too hard. And she basically told me like all the things that I tell people like with the groundwork, mm-hmm. you know, like just, you just got to yeah, like, I was like, this horse is trained. <laughs> just have fun. <laughs> I was like, he's more trained than so... any of my horses right now. <laughs> I'm like he's lovely. <laughs> You're like, but I need to fix all of this. Yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, well, it's hard not to care that much about it. Like, yeah. You know, like, you care that you're that invested in that horse, you're like sometimes when your, your own horse yeah. or you're competing, like sometimes you just really need yeah. that outside perspective. Yeah. Well, and I think I find that a lot, and I have to remind myself again if I'm teaching lessons and teaching clinics, and I'll have somebody that'll say, "Well, I'm only going this level. It's not like I'm doing this." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that horse is your like the horse that I took to the World Championships, Manoir de Carneville. Like that horse was my whole world." I'm like this, not this novice horse or beginner novice horse or vacuum. That's your whole world. Like I get it. Like it's, it's really, really important. And that emotional side comes into it. And it's funny because Tick and I do totally opposite. Like if I'm on a young horse that, you know, I can't get to the work part of because it has got some emotional things going on or, or it does something that scares me, you know, like that's when I go, I can't, I can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. But if, if you send me into the dressage ring or into the show jumping exercises on a horse that's ready to go to work, like it's really hard to get my blood up no matter what mistakes they make or anything like that. It's really hard for, you know, it's, so it's interesting because we both come at it from that opposite side of where our comfort levels are you know and i really think working there's so many different sort of fields or specialties or subspecialties with horses that you can have very different skill sets like somebody could be uh, a really good dressage rider but not a good jump rider somebody could be really good with upper level event horses but not four-year-old event horses somebody can be really good at starting horses uh you know but not doing groundwork with horses you know they're good at putting the first few rides on it so i think um you know and even within the eventing world you can have people that you might say like this person's really good, you know, with the five and six year old horses and you can have something else. You say they're really good at the, the, the five star level. And maybe even there's a difference between like the two and three star level and the five star level where you see the five star level, the emphasis being more on having to have those clear cross country rounds and make time. Whereas at the two and three star level, like the dressage and the show jumping at some competitions is arguably more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, um, <clears throat> when you're looking at horse prospects and stuff, is there a moment, Sinead, where you're like, 
when you get on that horse and you're like, this horse, this horse, got yeah. some potential. <laughs> I mean, what are you looking for? Is it just like a feeling that you get when you're, when you're, um, you know, climbing in the saddle or, or is that, are there specific things that you're looking for in like check boxes that you're going down? Yeah. I mean, I normally, I, I certainly from the ground when I watch a horse go have a very quick, like look that I like models that I like, right. Confirmation wise. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, with the, with kind of the horses that, um, I've had really good connections with or relationships with, I've probably known in like the first five minutes, whether it's, it's a, it's a horse that's really, um, you know, that we're going to really go places or a horse that I'm going to have to learn how to, you know, and I've had a handful of those horses that I've taken through upper levels that I've just dug in and been like, I'm going to learn how to ride this because it's a good mover. It's a good jumper. It's brave. It checks all these boxes, but something, um, doesn't quite, uh, click on a, on a personal level. Um, so, I mean, for me, I like a very, I, I like a light uphill type horse. I like a horse that can really pay attention and notice the small nuances of things as opposed to feeling like I have to ride with, like with a kind of a loud voice. Um, you know, like, you know, there's, there are a lot of riders that, that like a horse really taking them down to a jump and, and I'm not that like, I like a horse, you know, quite respectful on those type of levels. And I, I like a horse that likes to learn and that likes to work. Um, you know, it needs to want to work. Mm-hmm. Do you have any horses in the barn right now that are, that you're really excited about? Yeah, I do. I have two actually. And a third that's interesting that I gave to tick for three months. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have a nice big French horse, um, that isn't the maker model. Like when I saw him in a stall, I thought, Oh no. Um, but not because, I mean, he's nicely put together, but he's a big, big horse and, um, he's a self say. And, but there was like, I got on him and there was just something really nice about him. Like the softer I did things and the lighter I did things, the more he was interested and worked and the, you know, the tougher I was on him or the harder I was, the the more he just didn't show up, you know, like, but he never, he was a very, very kind animal. So he just did his, we just did our first uh, FEI two star together and he was just beautiful. So he's, he's a really nice horse, but certainly isn't one that I would have looked at and thought this is, this is the model that I am going (laughs) to get along with, but he's got a great brain. And so he was with, um, an amateur in France and then an amateur, uh, here in the States and then came to us to sell. And then I rode him a bit and was like, mine. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, he is a very exciting, nice horse Uh, that, you know, the thing that's a little bit tough about him is a bit older. So he's 10. Um, so if I, you know, it would have been a perfect world if I got him when he was six, but he has such a good mind that, um, I've been able to put a lot of positive work into him and he's taken it really, really well. Mm -hmm. And then we've got another, um, we've got a, a homebred that my, my mom bred, um, that's a tracaner actually. Um, and my mom still has the mother is Irish and, um, tick started him as he was three and we thought he was going to be horrible. (laughs) Um, and then we thought, Oh my God, my mom owns him. Talk about a bad owner. You know, like (laughs) like this horse is like her favorite child. Um, so originally I was like, tick, this is going to be your horse. I just cannot do this. (laughs) Um, but tick, you know, typical tick did an amazing job and the horse is now perfect. So I took him back. (laughs) (laughs) So he's really cool. He's a, he is, um, He's got a heap, heaps of personality and he's a good worker, but you know, he, 
uh, rises, rises to a challenge is like totally ADD wants to be doing this and that all, you know, all over the place all the time and we'll run you over, but it's not on purpose. He just didn't see you, <laughs> so, you know, Jake always, you know, Jake, we had Jake, uh, work with him in the round pen and Jake said that, you know, so we call the horse random dance moves now because Jake is like, you just have to all of a sudden just like start freaking out and moving everything around, you know, like you're doing some sporadic dance and then Reardon's like, Oh, I didn't even see you there. Um, so his, yeah, his name is random dance moves, but he's, He's a really talented, interesting, funny horse. Yeah. So, yeah. And the third horse, Emmett, we're going to create a video with at yeah. Horseman's University. So check out, check that out. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably got more talent than anything put together in the barn, but he's had some not great experiences and some learned behaviors and all of that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I, I rode him for a month, two months, something like that, and dropped right back down. The horse had gone FEI levels and dropped back down to novice, actually and kind of tried to use the skill set I had to get him kind of back on the same page. And then I found myself always two steps behind his behavior. So I enlisted Tick. <laughs> so this is a common thing that was going to happen, which is that I, I help one of Sinead's horses a little bit. And at the same time, Sinead will get some supplements or get some chiropractic work done on the horse. Yeah, I put him on CBD. And then, <laughs> and then the horse gets better, you know, after a couple of weeks or a little better. And Sinead will go, those supplements are working really well. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, I was going to ask, what's one, one thing that you... Uh, that you've taken from ticks training, it kind of sounds like it's the horses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anything good, I take it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you've like that from watching tick and and um, you know working with tick that you you're like okay, I'm going to implement that in my. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly think the the biggest thing that has kind of probably over the last year or two been one of the biggest shifts and changes in my mindset and therefore my life is um, Tick's ability to keep learning, like always be seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, and, and being able to have, like be in the process of learning and not feel vulnerable. And that's, I think, something as a young person, a, a competitive person, as a girl, as like growing up, I always felt uncomfortable in learning situations. Like I felt like I should just know, you know? And so that brings with it a whole array of, um, hurdles when you're trying to learn something new is that if you feel like you should already know it and you feel like you're vulnerable for trying to learn it, then, you know, it adds a whole slew of, um, tension and, and things into that mess. And, um, you know, tick constantly in the round pen, constantly reading, constantly, you know, learning all these interesting things. And then we sit, you know, at, at night over the dinner table discussing all these cool things. And that's been a huge inspiration to me and, and actually not being concerned about saying, you know what, I'm a little out of my, my depth right now. Can you help me with this horse or can you work with him for a week or two? And then we can jump back in together so that you feel like you can firmly, you know, figure this out. And I think that's been huge, um, in, in, um, in my working with horses and, and with people is just constantly being okay with, yeah, like I know this much, but there's always something more and that's right. okay. You know? So I think that's been, and you know, having it always be in the interest of the horse and that it's not one horse is every horse, you know, there's going to be different ways to go around that, um, or work within that. So, um, I think that's been a big thing for me. Yeah, I think in the in the equine industry, and I'm sure, you know, in every industry, there's a certain level of that, like, 
well, I should know this because yeah. I'm the professional. It's yeah. Like, and then and then you feel bad if you don't, but it's like it's okay. Yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like there's no ego when it comes to especially like training animals because it's it's we're always learning something new about like how they communicate and mm-hmm. how like Tig and I just did that podcast about <clears throat> animal communication. It's like there's so many new things and and uh, new ways to understand them that it's like you really. It's like, I mean, science is always moving forward, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have an open mind to it, then you kind of get stuck in a, yeah. stuck in a, in a rut. Well, and they'll lead you. And that's what I found once I switched that mind shift a little bit is that all of these issues that I don't know start to lead me down really cool paths. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you're just like, totally. whoa, like how did I do anything before I knew this? Yeah. You know? yeah. But every, you know, and that's what is kind of interesting and exciting actually about Emmett is that it's a, it's an experience, like it's a personality in a horse that I haven't, uh, experienced at that level of intensity. And I'm so curious and interested, you know, and like whatever that means now at this point in my life and my career, I'm going to learn something from it. You know, like whether that horse goes to the Olympics or whether that horse ends up show jumping with tick and then it goes to another, I don't, it, I don't know what that story is going to unfold, but I'm really excited about it. You know, like there's been some stuff like the French horse, Attila had some health issues that came up last year that, um, you know, our best, uh, vets in the country couldn't figure out and ended up going to the Chi Institute and through acupuncture and holistic, um, herbs, which if you'd asked me that a year ago, I'd be like, okay, (laughs) no, like, like, all right, let's just inject some steroid in there and call it a day. Um, but it really opened my eyes to a whole level of things that, I mean, it, it, they brought the horse back from the brink of death. I mean, honestly. And since then I, you know, I've been going to the holistic center in Gainesville and I, I look, I still use our, 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 you know, sport horse vets, but I also, the first person I call is Dr. Langlois from the Chi Institute and say, can you come and just like, look at this horse and talk to me about this horse and let's collectively. So I think going back to that, you know, knowledge base, it's, it's like utilizing your community is huge, right? Like your phone, a friend card has got to be, you know, and that's where we're so lucky to be in Ocala because a lot of times you'll see people trying to sort (laughs) through problems, you know, by themselves or, you know, traveling great distances but in Ocala, like, you know, there's so many opportunities yeah. for us here to call a vet, call a chiropractor, take a horse swimming. Um, reach out to any professional in any out, discipline, you know, if, straight yeah, massage, like yeah, if you wanted to massage, you know, venting. Yeah, like to, to just realize, you know, right down here, you we're so lucky to not have to do it ourselves. Like if you want to have somebody ride your horse for two weeks, you can find somebody that you trust. If you want to like get some show jumping help, you can find it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're smart, you marry that person, and then you don't have to pay them. <laughs> yeah, I think probably the smartest move there is marry a vet, probably. Uh, <laughs> second time around. <laughs> yeah. Or some or a, or a hay farmer. Hay, a hay farmer <laughs> s- yeah. slash farrier. Yeah. Yeah. A hay mm-hmm. farmer that lives in North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best of all the yeah. worlds. And they visit once a month. Yeah, to like just to deliver hay. Yeah. yeah. Every time God. they come, you're like, hey. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. No. Well, it's amazing, like, all this stuff, like, talking about, like, problems with horses and everything. Like, yeah, problems, you know, it, it sucks when you have issues with your horses, but also, like, look at all of the learning and opportunity for growth that problems. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You know, yeah, like, that's where you're. <clears throat> I told somebody the other day, they were asking about whether they should go to the thoroughbred makeover or not. 
And uh, I, I asked them, I was like, why wouldn't you go? And they're like, well, I don't think my horse will be ready. I don't want to overface him. And I've been, I've competed there three times and twice I won the freestyle and it went really well. And then once I took two horses and I totally overfaced myself and maybe the horses as well mm-hmm. by taking two into the arena. But that year that I, that I didn't finish well and I took two horses and I wasn't unprepared, that's the year I, I learned the most. Mm-hmm. Like I learned so much by going through that process and dealing with the situation as it arose and also learned a bit about myself having to back off and, and try to make the right decisions for my horse at the right time and make it not about winning in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever I hear people talking about like, you know, with young horse competitions or road to the horse or things like that, and they say it pushes the horses too fast. <laughs> it's not the competition that pushes the horse too fast. It's the person yeah. feeling like they have to do that because they're in a competition. Right. You know, like you don't have to do anything. Like you can show up and just trot around the course, trot into the jumps, canter out. But it's, it's that feeling that you put on yourself. So yes, you want to prepare your horse well enough and make the right decisions. You know, but if you end up in that situation, you know, it's, that, it's learning from it to make the right choice at the right time for your horse. Yeah, I think something that I see a lot in, 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 you know, watching clinics and stuff like that is <clears throat> that there's almost like this, it's, it's a fear of like messing up the horse or there's like you put, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and afraid to make a mistake in a certain situation like in a clinic or in a competition or something like that. But really, that's the best thing you could do is go out and make a mistake because then you know how to handle that situation, you know? Yeah. And I think that that as a horse owner and as, and for your horse, that's kind of the best thing that can happen is, you know, even if you make a mistake and you have to call somebody for help, it's like, well, now, great. How much, you know, yeah, nothing wrong with going and making a mistake and asking for help if you can't fix it. And for a, for a visual learner, like I, I am, I find it really helpful to learn from other people working with horses. And I feel like I can learn from their mistakes. So if I watch road to the horse and I see them make a mistake, you know, like I'll watch three days of road to the horse and they'll start three horses. And I feel like after watching that, like I started three horses myself yeah. and every time they went too fast or they went too slow, I feel like I learned from that. Or if you're going to a Grand Prix, you know, don't just watch them in their arena competing, like watch them in the warm up. watch if, you know, watch how the warm up affects their round. Or if you're going to a horse show for the weekend, don't just watch those top riders like, you know, BZ Madden or, or Rich Fellers or McLean Ward, don't just watch them in the Grand Prix. Watch them on the, some of their younger and up-and-coming horses, you know, mm-hmm. because that's where you see not everything going perfectly. And if you can really be a good watcher and not just be on your phone the whole time, like, you can learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Thank you guys for doing this. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. uh we enjoyed talking horses as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Over coffee and French okay, toast. And you French can come toast, for a podcast yeah. anytime where we get French toast and coffee. <laughs> we could do an evening one with Prosecco and something. Yeah, surf and turf. Yeah, surf and turf. Exactly. It's like you know. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And I um, hope to have you guys back on the podcast soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick.